I didn't know anything about IOHK, and then out of the blue, Charles invited me to come talk, and I was initially paranoid. I mean, it's people involved with crypto, and HK is Hong Kong, so I was wondering, you know, is it going to be sinister Bitcoin whales here? But it seems like a pretty mellow crowd, and with a generally positive slant. So um, what I'm going to talk about is cyberpunk use cases. One of the things that you notice, I've been reading a lot of articles on Medium, just to get up, on, up to speed, with uh, blockchain and crypto, or what are examples of good use cases. And so I wanted to spin out some sort of science fictional use cases. Um, what I'm known for, I'm really a science fiction writer, but I have a PhD in mathematical logic, and I worked for 20 years as a computer science professor and published a little about computer science. Actually, it was Stephen Wolfram who got me into computer science, and he's going to be talking after me, so this is kind of a cool, rare double header that you're seeing today. Once in a lifetime opportunity. Now, my novel software, this is something I wrote in the 19, actually 1980, maybe 1979. And at that time, nobody even knew the word software. And the idea in my novel software was that there was this old man and he was sick and these sinister Florida hillbillies were gonna cut off the top of his head and eat his brain and extract the so-called software inside the brain and put that into a robot body. And to you, you're like, I've seen this in a hundred movies, you know, a thousand. This is like a very standard idea. Well, I was the first one to write about this idea. And it wasn't at all easy to think of, hard as that is to believe now. It was not an obvious idea. But that was the idea that you can take software out of your brain and put it onto a robot. Actually, I wrote a sequel to it called Wetware, and that when the robots get even, and they find a way to put their programs into human bodies. They have this thing, they create sperm with two tails, and the extra tail is uh, the encoding of, of the robot's consciousness. And these are some cool little covers of the Wetware book. My books are very popular in Japan, and that's a little Japanese man wetware. Now, uh, even though I'm a cyberpunk writer, I'm a sort of regular guy. I, I mean, I like to think that. And a uh, family man, and we had three children. My wife's here also, Sylvia. And uh, here's our children wearing cyberpunk glasses. <laughs> They're uh, pretty cool kids. Uh, now, the word cyberpunk, where does that come from? Well is cyber plus punk, and cyber is the idea that the real world is blending into the computer world. And punk is the idea of keeping your independence, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So it's not just gonna be this boring, lame-ass Star Trek stuff of people going around in their pajamas, you know, with plastic walls, you know, like they're in a, a motel bathroom. You know, we wanna get in there with some graffiti, you know, <laughs> make it punk. So um, the first angle is software 
is learning to be more like people. This is a painting. Actually, I paint also. I started painting about 20 years ago. And uh, this is a woman on the Riviera with a robot who's managing to dance like her. And uh, programs, continually trying to make programs act more like us. That's like an ongoing thing. It's building all the time. Now, the other thing is uh, we sort of act like software. In some ways, particularly if you're talking to a bot on the phone, you're forced to sort of behave robotically. But also we, I mean, the web is sort of a memory enhancement. A lot of the things I write, I have a blog, I write rudyrucker.com slash blog. And I mention that because the talk I'm giving today is actually on that blog. More or less, it's my notion of what I was going to say, though you never know in the moment what you really are going to say. And uh, anyway, the point is we've enhanced ourselves. Something worth noting, a footnote here, that thing he's holding, that's me, of course, that thing I'm holding there is a cone shell. And why would I pick a cone shell? Well, that was a Stephen Wolfram's great example of a computation which is deterministic but unpredictable. That's an idea that, for some reason, it's still, the public still doesn't grasp that idea, that computations can be deterministic but not predictable by any means faster than running them. Anyway, a third aspect of uh, the cyber thing is software is kind of, not only are people and software emerging, reality and software emerging. And that's one of the big things that you guys are talking about here. Uh, that's sort of Charles's vision about blockchain, or not even necessarily blockchain, but blockchain type, type stuff, crypto, taking over uh, contracts and healthcare records and uh, deeds, all this stuff. And uh, another aspect of software merging with reality is, of course, virtual reality. And so this guy, uh, this is a Lego tourist in the Frankfurt Airport. Now, the other thing, the punk part, as I say, I, I, we don't want like plastic, lame. Like sometimes people say VR could replace reality. I mean, have you ever gone outside and actually looked at nature? You know, VR is not at all as rich as nature, and it never will be. I mean, there's scientific reasons why it isn't. I, I even wrote a post on that, but. Uh, Believe me, it's, it's not going to be ever as cool as nature. So we need grunge. So to make things somewhat grungy, there are computational ways of creating grunge, but somehow the nerds that design virtual reality worlds, they tend to just like flat polygons. You know, they don't, they don't want cool stuff. So that on the right, that's a nice grungy. That's a continuous valued cellular automaton, a reaction diffusion rule. I spent months, years, staring at those things. I did a lot of work with cellular automata. Uh, and that's, on the other side, that's a really nice graffiti on the wall at uh, Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Funky. Now, what is punk in short? If you want a simple slogan, punk is give the finger and walk away. Give the finger and walk away. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the pig is trying to grind you down. You know, they're asking you for your social security number, your phone number, your mother's maiden name. And you're like, no, no. One of the funny things, I just laugh 
if you even use Facebook, they're always saying, can we give, will you give us your home phone number so we can help protect your security? <laughs> Come on, you know? So the punk attitude, be a rebel. If you go along, if you don't make waves, if you just do what the man says, they're going to enslave you. They're going to screw you. This picture I took in uh, Vienna, I like it. That's a sort of a rancid symbol, that thing on his jacket. And notice he is enjoying the woman playing classical violin. Just because you're a punk doesn't mean you have to be you know, boorish and anti-intellectual. So um, the thing is, we get a lot of goodies from the internet. Uh, and some of the things that we get, I mean, there's five things I mentioned here. I'm going to talk mostly about the last three. One of the things with the internet that we want to do, we want to be able to, you know, buy and sell. Now, that's where, to some extent, blockchain has a kind of a bad reputation. I mean, if Bitcoin is mainly used by Silk Road or by Mafia hits, it's not. We want some savory, more savory use cases for the stuff you guys are doing. But uh, another thing, publishing is something we like to, I'll take questions at the end. Uh, something, uh, publishing, that's one thing about, that's come out really well on the internet. The thing is about the internet, it was basically founded by cyberpunks. Not that the guys who did it were hipsters, but they were, they were geeks. But they're very, you know, if you know computer people, a lot of them are very libertarian. They're very you know, anti-establishment. And they actually did a really good job making the internet be fully distributed. That's the thing that, that's why it's so wonderful. Uh, and you can pretty much post whatever you want, especially if you have a, a service provider that isn't, you know, isn't grinding you down. My son is my service provider. He has a company in San Francisco called monkeybrains.net. And some of my books I've actually published in recent years uh, as my career winds down. Sometimes I can't find a, a real publisher for my books. So two or three of them I self-published. And it's actually surprisingly easy. Well, if you're a computer science professor and you spend about 10 months learning how to do it, and you buy InDesign and learn how to use that, it's surprisingly easy. And, uh, but you basically send a PDF to CreateSpace at Amazon, and then your paperback comes out. And you send a, you make an EPUB file with Sigil, and send that to them, and they, uh, they make the Kindle book. So publishing is cool. So that's a really, another really big win about the internet. Uh, search. Now, here things we get iffy. Science fiction writers used to speculate about having a universal library, and we have it in the sense that we have Google and Wikipedia. You can find out anything you want, and talk and archiving. Now, there's a catch about the internet. This is a, I like, I love these animals. They're called nautiluses. They have 90 tentacles, and they have this really killer beak in the middle of the tentacles. It's kind of a symbol of a lot of things. And it could be a symbol of the internet. You know, you're riding comfortably on this. See the people lined up on that tentacle? But the beak, 
the beak. And uh, so I'm going to look at just three of the things very quickly, uh, search, talk, and archiving. Now, the thing about search with Google, uh, I was talking to the chief scientist of IOHK last night, and he says the thing is there's such asymmetry that Google knows what everybody is thinking about from the searches. It's just, it's out of control. It really shouldn't be that way. There shouldn't be one company that has so much control over us. So that's the drawback. And what do they use the knowledge of you? Well, they use it to, to place ads for you. So it's just such a low motive, you know, ads. Or they might use it possibly to turn you in for being a radical or a whatever. And data mining, so just finding out huge models of your personality. So it sucks, okay, we don't like it. Now, the old way of fixing it is ad blockers and virtual private network. And there's a new fix I'd like to propose is that everyone has a search engine. And what I mean by that is uh, it's an idea I call a crystal ball. Suppose we take Moore's Law seriously. You say, well, look, Google, they have all these huge hulking servers all over the world and you know, just putting countless resources into doing AI analysis of the hits and that everything's getting. Why couldn't you have this system in your pocket? It's, you know, we used to think that would be impossible, but you know, just look at how far computers have come in the last 20, 40, 60 years. It's inevitable that you can have the entire Google system on a device that's in your pocket. Now, will it be a chip? Uh, I'm sort of, I'm into non-traditional computation. I think we're gonna have biological computations or quantum computations. After all, a stone is full of particles that are connected by each other with forces. It's like this, there's really, there's an octillion atoms in a stone. And if we could just find some way to harness that computation. Now, uh, where blockchain would come into it, you each have your own private Google device in your pocket, and you want to share. You won't be necessarily mapping the whole world. You'll be mapping stuff that interests you. It'll be like sniffing out wherever you go. It'll like look at all the branches that come off of that. And you would be sharing that with your trusted friends. And there, you would get kind of a blockchain thing happening when you're sharing the information, putting it in a ledger that your friends can, can look at. Uh, AI, I have a lot more to say about AI. I'm going to be running out of time in just a minute. So before I go into the rush, desperate, frantic finale, uh, I want to remind you that I'm giving another talk at 1.45 today. And I'll have a more time then, and I'll go into some of this stuff in more detail. So let's just jam through the last two slides. Uh, something about communication that interests me, and again, I'll say more about this later, is uh, we really ought to have telepathy. Uh, and you think telepathy is impossible, you know, but if you'd never seen a cell phone, if you jumped here from 1800, you'd think that people with cell phones have telepathy. So it's really just a matter of the interface. And I've often written in my novels, there's this device I like to call an ovi. It's like a little piezoplastic slug, and it lives on the back of your neck. And it's sensitive to the 
electrical signals coming out of your brain. And then those can be in wireless contact with the other obbies. So you can get something happening kind of pretty much like telepathy, going brain to brain. Going to be a huge need for crypto or something when we do this, because you don't want to get ads into your brain. You don't want to fall asleep wearing your ovi and get ads all night long. That'd be horrible. So uh, that's going to be an important thing. Again, I'll say more about that later. Uh, but the idea of linking into each other's thoughts is kind of very attractive. See, here's some lovers, and if you can decipher that image, that's each of them has an image of the other one, and they're nestled together into a yin-yang symbol, which is kind of cool. So, um, and immortality I won't even go into until my talk later today. So, here's two more software covers. The, the book has come out in every language in the world, really. And uh, I have a new ebook of it out. It's called The Wear Tetralogy. So you could go and get that. There is a, a Creative Commons version, too, um, but you should buy the ebook. Uh, I love that one on the, on the right, that sort of seal. There's this substance I write about a lot. It's called piezoplastic. And the idea is some plastic that is flexible and intelligent and computational. I, I see that being a big element in the future. So uh, maybe I'll stop right now. Preserve your software. The rest is meat. Now, uh, you can go to my site to find out more stuff about me. And maybe we'll have time for one or two questions. Thanks. Y'all too, stu too stunned to ask a question? OK, let's get one in. OK, I want to hear you. I just I don't understand where you came from. Like, how did, how did you become you? Like, so back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you, who birthed you? You know what I mean? Like, what, like I'm, just so, I'm just so fascinated right now. Like, how did you come, like, in, in that time to have these thoughts? I just, I'm just fascinated. <laughs> well, yeah, people sometimes ask where I get my ideas. And, and the rude answer is, I steal them from you. <laughs> that's why you don't have any. <laughs> but, that's, but that's not really true. It's, I pay attention to things. I think a lot. I read a lot. And uh, it's not like I especially work hard at it. It just kind of comes to me. So I'm just, I'm just fortunate that I'm able to have these ideas. And writing a book, it's, people say it would be nice to be a writer, but it takes at least a year to write a book. And, you have to sit there and, and write every day. And when you can't write, then I write in a notes document about what I'm planning to write. And uh, so it's just one step at a time. <laughs>